We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Rangers Make Basketball. Tim, we are here to, I guess, provide some context. You know, we haven't potted in a bit. Lakers were struggling toward the end of the year and starting in the new year. Started to get some momentum going. We called the Clippers game, which was fun. Good job, good time to have a good game against a good opponent and then falling right back down uh, against Phoenix, which we'll talk about. But I know you're steady and always keeping things in perspective, which we could all use right now. But how are you doing today, man? Nice and steady. <laughs> um, <laughs> doing okay. It's been a busy week, except for the weekend. Uh, you know, hopefully the Lakers can continue building on some of what they've built up the past handful of games and, you know, stack some wins here. Uh, a couple like games we barely won sandwiched in between a bunch of losses isn't, isn't the most fun thing. And it seems like who, who do we need to trade for is, is becoming more and more a topic of conversation among the, the Lakers Twitter sphere. But uh, no, I'm still over here slaving away at a, uh, Every you know, logging every single play uh, of the year, and it's it's not fun when we lose. I'm up to uh, four thousand rows of information. Okay, so let's talk about that then. Let's talk through that Phoenix game because being at the end of this five and eleven stretch uh, post in season tournament final, the vibes are bad, right? It doesn't take one good game against a good opponent to fix that. The vibes are down. The Lakers are experiencing a lot of you know uh shot negativity as far as the luck and, and the averages of some of these players they're also giving up a lot more open looks but they're also having bad luck in some of these outcomes and that's where data comes in to help us tim na- navigate what we see and what we feel through the ups and downs of the season so i guess maybe using that like why did they lose this game what was it that was just the problem in this one instead of the kind of the overarching issues on the team that we're seeing 
Yeah. So sometimes there are themes that, you know, continue game to game. Other times it's just individual, you know, a bad matchup or we shot poorly or they shot super well or something like that. For this game, it was, I mean, the fact that it was over after three quarters was jarring to, to watch. And I wasn't able to tune in live until the start of the fourth quarter. And, and I was really confused and concerned by what I was seeing, but, uh, the Lakers saw the schedule and everyone else got blown out and they're like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing tonight. Did you know, I I saw this on Twitter. Apparently the average margin of victory in games this season is the highest it has been. Wow. I'm not sure ever, but at least in like a couple decades. Interesting. So yeah, we're seeing a lot of blowouts. The Lakers have been on the good end of some. They've been on the bad end of many, and we remember all of them. Uh, but in this one, you know, through those, just looking at the first three quarters, I have logged two and a half of those first three quarters so far. And in that logging, I'm seeing that through the first half, the Lakers, you know, they ran plays, they ran good plays, they were getting good, you know, pretty good quality shots. They, uh, you know, were underperforming on some of the shooting for them. Then they opened up the third quarter, not really running anything at all for quite a bit. And instead of running four out or instead of running five out, as they had done in almost the entire entirety of the first half, they started running four out one in because they had Vando in there. Uh, I'm assuming what was it in the third or I'm sorry, in the second quarter that Cam Reddish got hurt. Is that why Vando started the third? That's my assumption. Yeah, at the beginning of the second, he only played like a minute, and then they brought okay. him right in for him, I believe. Uh, it was okay, the- yep, yep, that's right. It was very quickly into that quarter. Yeah, so in the third, we ended up getting to see a little bit of a different group. Reeves, Prince, Vando, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and that group didn't run plays and was also in four out, and that combination is, is not very good, and they did not get very good results uh, from a shot quality standpoint, but overall from what i've seen with the half court offense like i kind of like some of the process there were there were little things like the suns leaving ad alone they were kind of ignoring him to start the game it took six seven minutes and then the lakers countered and adjusted to that but uh his his one three-pointer a game hasn't really been moving the needle against these teams that are that are you know being smart about their game planning and so that hurt the team a bit but I liked a lot of what I saw from the half court. You just couldn't finish or they weren't executing or, you know, Jackson Hayes is committing offensive fouls on screens, things like that. But where the Lakers offense compared to the Suns offense was really hurt was transition. Lakers, again, just through three quarters, the Lakers had 21 transition scoring chances, yet were outscored in transition by the Suns who had only 10 because they couldn't convert at all. And the Suns were scoring yeah. two points per possession. So it was a free bucket every time down the court for the Suns against the Lakers defense in transition. And the Lakers transition offense, even though they had great volume, they just could not put the ball through the hoop. And so this was a weird game for me tracking-wise because usually I'm going to see 25, 26, 28 half-court possessions. The first quarter, there were only like 18 plays I had to log because they were in transition so much. Um, and they just couldn't do anything. So that was bad. The putbacks and offensive rebounds were bad. The Suns, again, through three quarters, had eight putbacks. The Lakers had two from an attempt standpoint. And on the 11 total offensive rebounds the Suns had, again, through just the three quarters, it was a lot of guys just mixing box outs, missing box outs. AD missed one. Reeves missed one. Uh, there was one where Nurkic was stripped going up, and then he got the ball. So that it counts as an offensive rebound. I don't care. 
Uh, Nurkic on one play was bigger than Vando after a switch. And, you know, that, that, that is what it is. There were three times Nurkic got good, like deep position closer to the rim than AD because AD was in drop or rotating or something. And then LeBron James missed four box. He had, he had four missed assignments that contributed to those 11 offensive rebounds. So he was the almost half of the, the, I guess a little over a third of the rebounds the Suns got were LeBron's fault basically, which was, which was hurtful. But from a pick and roll standpoint, the Lakers are doing a better job. They were doing a better job on spot ups. Um, it was transition. It was putbacks. And a lot of that is effort. A lot of that is you got to like want it. You got to get it out there and, and exert effort. And we, we heard the uh, Byron Scott-esque, uh, you know, you got a man up comments from him. That might be what he's talking about. We that's, also, yeah. that's just effort. Tim, we also, I, I'm curious to get your take on um, putting vibes into statistics. Uh, in tracking vibes in the new limbo advanced stat Darvin Ham told us about. But yeah, it's the vibes are down and he's tracking this thing. He's so much he told you he created a thing where he's tracking the vibes are down. How about we track box outs and have accountability like um, you know, a normal job, a normal process. It's yeah. Yep. Limbo. They should they should track it. They don't track it. The limbo thing, so I I can understand people thinking it's funny given the, the name of it or how it was presented. I think it's a good idea. Like the, and I've, I've been part of teams where this is something we looked at. We tried to eyeball it and it was much harder than them having tracking data. The first, what do you say? Two or three seconds after the end of the last play, what you do really matters. Like that quick burst is the difference between the other team getting a transition opportunity or us getting back and them having a half court chance. And that's, that makes a huge difference. So guys walking or guys complaining to the refs or guys flexing little things like that. You're not, you know, the last play's over, but you're not really participating in the next play and you're kind of caught in between caught in that limbo. And so I think it makes, you know, great sense. And that's been something that's very directly hurt this Lakers team this year is their inability to transition from play to play. And it seems like guys, you know, falling down after shots at the rim or complaining to the refs, seems to like directly drive opposing team transition opportunities. And so far this season, there are only, let's see here. There are only four teams that have given up a higher percentage of opportunities in transition than the Lakers as a percentage of of total defensive possessions. And the Lakers have been a worse defense from an effectiveness standpoint than all but one of those teams. So they've been the worst transition defense or almost the worst transition defense so far this season. And little things like that factor into it. So funny name, but I didn't hear the vibes piece. I'm interested to, to, to hear or speculate how they might be doing that, but I can get behind limbo. I think it's a problem. Okay. So, but the, what's the solution, right? The biggest culprit of having bad limbo is LeBron James. It's mm-hmm. been like that for a lot of his career, but it's gotten even worse that he's kind of giving up on these plays. That's great to say we're doing it. Where's the the accountability? It's still happening. It's still, you know what I mean? So from to level criticism of LeBron, it's that stuff where he he will, you know, play like shit for two weeks to send a message to a front office. We've seen it before in Los Angeles, as well as it, you know, him doing it throughout the course of his career. But more than that, it's like you gotta play through that stuff and at least like attempt to get back in 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 body language because that that stems from the leaders and i'm starting to see with ad and the phoenix game 
wasn't exerting himself quite the same. Um, and it shouldn't be that hard this length into the season. They haven't missed a lot of time. They're relatively healthy, you know, and it's uh, that's fine to track it. Then what are we going to do with that information? If mm-hmm. we don't do anything to impact change, so we'll have accountability to your point. Um, you can track everything to you know that ever happens, and it won't it won't matter if you don't apply yep. the, the principles you learn from it to affect change. Yeah, if you if you ever reach a point where you're like, oh no, we have some problems. Let's figure out the root cause of those problems. And the root cause of those problems is your your best players. Mm-hmm. And then you don't feel you have the like capability to try to hold them accountable you you aren't able like at that point you've become ineffective at your job because you can no longer manage the improvement of of the situation now i don't see the limbo numbers i don't know if they've improved we certainly will still see it and when it happens it stands out but if they've been able to get at a team level the percentage of the time that guys aren't you know flipping over from play to play down down 10 percent you know, that, that's still good. So uh, it's, we don't have the info to be able to say whether or not it's been working since they've begun tracking it. But if they're not using it like as actionable information, coaching to it, they're wasting their time tracking in the first place. Yeah. Well, lots to learn still. Even we, we try to learn as much as we can from one game and put that into the big picture, Tim. And so I, it's so great to talk to you through how the Lakers go through the up and downs and you have that steady voice, but it's, uh, it does seem like we're more getting closer to a trade and we can talk about what's left over and who can be reused, uh, you know, not reused, but you know, used better moving forward. Mm-hmm. And something that we were looking for is the play calling to get better. Right. And mm-hmm. Through the Clippers game, through the Raptors game, had better process there. I liked how they were being back to their old ways, even though it pissed the rest of the league off with getting fouled and not fouling on on the defensive end. And you know, AD made big plays on defense to to help us close that game out. It it was improving. It wasn't just a two game stretch that they can't keep doing that. But you it you know the growth is not linear, I guess. And so you revert back to your old ways occasionally. And uh, it was fu- it was funny. They were getting bad luck shooting in the beginning of the sun, so they were nailing every three. They went on a big cold stretch, right? And then Bradley Beal started making more. And yeah, it's it's just frustrating to talk through those games and stream those games. But the overarc- overall thing is this is, team's going to get switched up. So what needs to go? You know, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. Just trying to to frame this right because well, yeah and, the Lakers aren't gonna it, fire him like, at this point we're, I don't think they're gonna fire him I don't think that at this point like if they should have identified here's what we think needs to be better and it should be more granular than just like win games like play calling frequency might be one of the things or like we need to do a better job in transition defense and how are you going to hold guys more accountable maybe that's what drove you know the limbo creation whatever those little things are you got to have a specific like explicit list of here are the 10 things, here are the eight things, here are the five things we need to improve. And here's a realistic time frame that you have to improve them. I, you know, I'm not saying that Ham's safe until the end of the, the year or, you know, through the end of his contract, but he should probably be safe at least for another couple of weeks here while he tries to turn this thing around. And 
as we see things like the play calling frequency suddenly get better as soon as you know noise starts to happen about this we went from you know a big big stretch of games where the lakers were very rarely above that 50 percent mark of uh play calling frequency that that i'd set as a benchmark they did it let's see once two times in like 15 games they've done it five of the past six games and the one game they didn't they were at 49 percent. so like Areas like that, we have seen some clear growth. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win every game, but in terms of controlling what you can control, we're starting to see them get there. But even with that, as you're losing games, you know, we see little things here, there, you know, this guy's not going to drop. We need better point of attack defense, things like that, that lead fans to, hey, if if ham and getting rid of ham isn't what will happen, what can happen? And I think trades are that thing. And one thing tying back to the Phoenix game that we saw is, the Suns outscored the Lakers 24 to nothing on perimeter isolations. They had 20 of them. The Lakers had two. And of the Suns' 20, only two of their 20 were like AD needing to play defense uh, 1v1 after a switch. And again, this is just through three quarters. Um, so that is an area we saw Reeves, Christie, and D'Lo attacked the most, uh, almost exclusively. Those three guys being attacked 1v1. Now, the Lakers did try to, as the game went on, send some extra help. They would actually double team or they would just try to stunt over and get in driving lanes. And they had some success with that. But if they're just going to play 1v1, this isn't the best collection of roster talent with their on-ball defense that you feel great about it. And a lot of offenses won't play iso ball enough that it matters all that much. But when you say play teams like the Suns, you know, you could very easily see this in the playoffs. Other teams sees you've got a weak guy or two. They're just going to go right at them. And so that is yep. probably driving people to have interest in some of like the wing options, like a Dorian Finney-Smith, those types of guys. Yep. But then also, I think we're seeing it tied back a lot to DeJounte Murray as someone who was brought into the league. He's played in uh, San Antonio. He's played in Atlanta. He's got a really strong defensive reputation offensively hasn't really been much of a, a three-point shooter over his career but can pass the ball can do some creation that seems to be the idea with him tom but i'm i'm curious what are you seeing how you know having played around in some of the data uh that you know d- does he fit what this team is looking for i, d- I think yeah, he's got the matchup difficulty on Austin. Austin's matchup difficulty is really low at a D plus. He's got the 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 high matchup difficulty. If you look at like the overall impact through the D LeBron, they're both at an F. Um, and the values are, yeah, that among rotation guards at least this year, minus nine point nine seven for Austin, minus point nine four for Dejounte. So impact. Okay, so maybe you say Tim, it's the Hawks. They have a, a, you know, a bad uh, backcourt defender, one of the worst in in the league as far as you know defensive impact goes. And Trey Young, he's the only guy who's gonna have the difficulty. That's why they brought him in, right? He's still averaging twenty one five and five, but his individual impact doesn't seem to be affecting the team's success in that respect. His data, his data haven't been like amazing through the roof on defense. He is shooting the ball really well this year, though. Um, with like 39% or so from three, but the rest of the creation stuff, he about the same as Austin B minus to C plus for DeJounte. So 
I, I don't know if it's enough. And that's kind of what the rumor was is we saw the Chris Haynes report during the game. I saw some more speculation that if Austin were to be involved, which we had heard he would not be Jeannie's, you know, hesitation to trade him might be strong, but they, if, if they were going to include him, they would want a little bit, something more back. And if that's, if we're talking DeJounte Murray and, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich, then it's more interesting for me. Uh, but, and what happens with D'Lo? What else is in the package? Is it Austin and Rui? Is it, you know, all three of them with a the third team kind of mixed in? Or is it Gabe? Is it, you know, I th- I don't think they're going to be trading Torian Prince, Cam Reddish. Other guys don't seem to be, you know, Vando, they can't trade this year. So what combination of D'Lo, Austin, Rui, Gabe gets thrown out there? And what, like, if you give up Austin and JHS and maybe even Christie, right? But you get back Murray and Bogdanovich, I think that's a, a meaningful upgrade um, at several positions now. Once you throw in that extra piece, you know what I mean? So, okay. So you said basically like JHS not really helping this team this season. So it's really Reeves and Christie for DeJounte and Bogdanovich. Well, it have to be Reeves and Rui. What's that? For money, it'd have to be Reeves and Rui. Ooh, okay. Hmm. So Reeves, Rui, and Christie, you're thinking, or just Reeves and Rui? That's the framework that I wish would actually make sense. Do I love it? I think that team is just better. Those guys are better impacting. Austin's been really bad lately, and we can talk about how he gets hunted on defense and, you know, things have been loud lately as well. He had a decent game, I think, against Memphis and the team didn't quite have it as a career high and assist. We still get mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of bad turnovers, a lot of bad rotations, um, getting picked on on defense more than ever now. And I'm not trying to trade Austin. Don't get me wrong. I'm more speculating about how I could see this actually work because they, they can't take back D-Low. Like... Atlanta can't take back D'Lo. That just does not make sense for them, um, asset-wise. Even if they're kind of tanking, right? Like I don't, I don't see that unless the third team gets involved. Yeah, I. It doesn't really make sense for them. Like the utility, you're not able to bring him in and say, "Oh, we're going to have you run the show." Like you have Trey Young, and if you bring D'Lo in, like a D'Lo Trey Young backcourt is is horrendous defensively. Like DeJounte should be the type of guy that makes sense for them. Uh, or he should have been. And his yeah. defense has really fallen off though in, in recent seasons. And looking at, I, I was able to, to ask about this and get some info. When you look at the shot quality in isolation defense that DeJounte Murray has been conceding, it's almost the same as Austin Reeves this year when in wow. terms of the expected effective field goal percentage adjusting for the shooter. The big difference has been when opponents are shooting against Austin, they've shot 11% better with their effective field goal percentage than the data would suggest they should be, which is super unlucky. It's, you know, I'm making you take tough shots. You're just hitting them at a really high rate. And that's not the norm for Austin. In, in the prior couple seasons, when you average everything out, it's it's the luck piece has been at about zero. So it's been a very odd outlier year in that way. But 
then on DeJounte's end, opponents are shooting worse against him than than you would expect. Uh, and in a way that like it's just probably him being lucky a little bit. And so I don't expect those two reverse and then all of a sudden like nobody can hit anything against Austin. But even if throughout the rest of the year it's more normal, you know, he's gonna on the year end up being a bit higher than than we'd like, but it should feel and look much better because so far he's getting destroyed one V one and luck's part of that. The shot quality is part of that, but DeJounte doesn't look in that way, like a meaningful upgrade. And I, I really worry about his three point shooting now, just cause he, That's fair. every year of his career up until if with, with DeJounte Murray, every year in his career up until now, he just has not been able to get the job done there. I, I, I don't know. I don't really trust has he changed his form or something? Like I, I would be very skeptical and would not want to do a deep dive yeah. to see if I'd expect that to continue at, at that rate. Cause if you bring him in and he's not an impactful defender, like he used to be years ago, and he's also not able to space the floor like he has so far this season. I don't, I don't know if that's really much of an upgrade. So then it really comes down to like, are the other pieces you're getting along with DeJounte able to, fit better or just be talent upgrades in a way that moves the needle. And Bogdanovich is a very good offensive player defensively being used in a, uh, let's see, a helper role. So he is not as a shooting guard. He is not someone that Atlanta is willing to put on ball against Mm -hmm. offensive players. So that, that I don't see helping address the Lakers defense, but you know, offensively, he's certainly a very good shooter and he's been used as a movement shooter though given how the Lakers have used guys, I don't even know if I would expect him to continue being used as a movement shooter. So if he goes down to being a stationary shooter, that probably drops some of his impact as well. Um, I don't know, maybe go for a Kongwu. I don't know if they'd be willing to move him, but he's a, a you know, a, a decent young in his age 23 season, big man. I don't know. I don't, I don't see this as like a slam dunk, which is probably right. what realistic trades should look like. But I, exactly. don't, I also don't know if it like, I don't know. I could, I could probably live with it, but I don't know that it necessarily like solves the problem. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, no, I don't think it does. If other than just, uh, you know, if he'd have worked for the Lakers last year, it, it made more sense on a basketball court to have the players they got back for Russell Westbrook as far as that, you know, how they're able to impact the game. And we, we've seen it also not work, you know, and, and not solve all your problems or just create new problems. And grass is always greener, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah, not you like don't want to make a move just yeah. to make a move. Yeah. And, It'll sacrifice some of their uh, buying power in the offseason if they do want to try to. But it's it's only getting so far, man. You can't keep expecting the same LeBron to keep coming back year after year. So they have a lot of they're, they're in a rock in a hard place as far as betting on short or long term. They've already bet on short term over and over. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they're going to have to have a shift mentally. With uh, and I'm just curious. I, I don't think it's over or saying anything like that. I think this team still can compete with the right pieces. And based on like more realistic options, it's a shot. At least it's something that's seems like it's realistic through the reporting through, you know, where these teams are both kind of at right now, both kind of shuffling deck chairs. I still think there's natural, you know, Ham was talking about, we have everything in our locker room. He has to believe that. I think he has to at least say it whether he believes it or not. But we were higher on this team than what they're putting out there right now. And I think mm-hmm. the whole is less than the sum of its parts. And just getting in new parts makes me still worry about the, the system and, and how we can keep growing going forward. Cause we've seen some growth and then some, you know, stagnation. And even though the offense is getting better, it's getting back on that track. We need to find the player, like find the players where you can at least squeeze the value out without no one needs D'Angelo Russell, even on a team friendly contract right now. They'll take a shot on Austin Reeves to be sacrificed a few years. Deshante's still fairly young as well. I think he's only 27. He's, yeah, he's in his age 27 season. Have you seen his contract extension? No. So he signed a four-year $114 million contract extension. He would have uh, a $25.5 million cap hit next year, then $27.5, then $29.5. Then he's a player option on the fourth year for $31.5 million. And unless his defense recovers to form a bit, I don't, I don't think he's ever going to be able to produce that kind of value. Um, I mean, listen, it's no Zach Levine contract. Let's take a look. Hundred million dollars less than that total contract. I mean, five year, an extra year tacked on. So, but- yeah. So Levine's at like forty three next year. So it's. 43 versus like 25 and a half is a huge difference. I mean, you know how it goes. Every five years, it's like 
30 million is the new 25 million from a few mm-hmm. years as far as this level of contract. Um, That's true. It's not great. Don't get me wrong. I don't think DeJounte is like a fringe all-star even. And 21, five and five is, is nice. And they're not impacting winning out there. Exactly. So get to your theory. There's something I don't love there as far as like that system. I, I thought they would be much better with those two at least. And it has not come to fruition because the theory is there at least right mm-hmm. from, from designing a backcourt with challenges on, on the defensive end with Trey young, the fact that didn't work out and he's not quite affecting the defense, even that much more than Austin Reeves, it makes it not worth it. I'm personally kind of out. Um, if, especially if Austin's included, if you can find a way to make it D and Rui or something closer to that, I'd feel better. Mm-hmm. I, I gotta say, I do like it more than the Levine though. Um, how do you feel in comparison of those two structures? I've seen DeJounte defend better in, in the past. So I like, I want to think he's uh, going to be able to be a, a more impactful player. And so far this season, he has been the most impactful player of, of the three guys we're talking about here between Reeves, Murray and Levine. And he's been the most impactful offensively of the three He's had quite an outlier season from a three-point shooting standpoint. And so that's a piece that, like, I expect him to be the worst of these three players. Uh, Defensively, I expect him to, I think he should be able to be the best of these three players. And I would wonder if joining the Lakers, he's able to shift more of his energy bar towards defense and regain some of the former defensive impact and effectiveness that he used to have because we've seen his we've seen the highest peak from him defensively it was you know as high as Zach Levine's career high offensive impact peak so like he was a very good defender the thing is he's got he's dropped four of the past five seasons in his defensive impact looking at our D LeBron metric at B-ball index so like the, right now, so far this season, Zach Levine has the the highest D LeBron of these three players, which is crazy. Um, but I feel like that is Murray should be able to be a better player. And his contract is certainly much more favorable than Levine's. So I I still, I would prefer Murray over Levine. I feel, I like his passing better. I like his defense better. His shooting I'm worried about, but if it continues, then great. I I would be more in the camp of like, is it enough to move on from Reeves? Is is more more where I'm caught up more so than you know, is he better? Right. Than I, I would definitely take Dejounte over Zach for this team for this Lakers team, given their strengths and weaknesses and where this roster is right now. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. A long term, I believe in Austin's shot more, the playmaking. Um, it's pretty shocking how much the defensive slide has been for Austin, but I still believe in the player that he's got a great contract too. I don't think it's time to, to throw him into these deals because this season is working out. I think it's far beyond just on him. Um, and, and I think we've been talking through, uh, you know, I want to get to, I just pulled up Terry Rozier, who's been a name floated around the Lakers every once in a while, more on the fringes than like your Kyrie's or, you know, these other reports we've gotten, but Terry Rozier is another interesting player who might cost a little bit less um, dynamic at all three levels. 
guy who's still got a, a high matchup difficulty, but not a great D LeBron. He's got the yeah, worst he, out of these three. He's got the worst of all these guys. Yeah. Um, but brings, you know, that offensive punch. It's it's more about like, could you get him for gosh, like D and something else, you know? Are you I don't know. I, there's not a lot of structures out there that, that are really, really no brainers for the Lakers right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would expect them to want to see how this team can perform once they get Rui back. I'm, I'm seeing them run lineups out there that just from a size standpoint, they're, they're a little bit undersized. And so I think that'll help with the rebounding. I think that'll improve rim protection a little bit more. I think that'll help them fare better when they are trying to switch when they are trying to hedge or, or do anything that is requiring extra rotations on the back end. So just having that extra big body is going to be valuable. And Rui shot well from three this year. And he's, you know, uh, we've seen him really drop off from an effectiveness standpoint so far this year in terms of his late clock, you know, bail us out offense. And it's not going to be as good as it was last year because last year was, you know, quite an outlier. But he, he adds some value attacking a closeout and you know, so far this year had improved a little bit in terms of getting to the rim. So he's a, a player that should help this team. And I think along with some of the improvements we've seen from a play calling standpoint, from a play design standpoint, you know, get him back into the mix. See, see what you have before you decide to blow anything up with how the calendar's shaking out. I think you'll have that opportunity before the trade deadline for sure. Um, but if he gets back and we're, you know, it's, Kind of the same old thing where we're either barely winning or we're losing games and we're getting blown out in games. I don't know. I, I think the Heat's going to be on for the team to make a move, especially if they're going to stand by him. Yeah, I think they're, they're still going to rely on, not the excuse, but, you know, Rui's had a rough season with injuries. Gabe obviously went down. And we'll mm-hmm. be coming back at some point if they don't move him. So, uh, you know, as much as it it pains me to say, Tim, I, I could see this team kind of standing pat the more we talk through it or making me maybe making something more on the fringes. Um, I don't know. I, I hope, I hope they stand pat more than make a trade. If I'm being honest, because now that we're talking about getting rid of Austin in some of these reports, he one thing. He always kind of signed that team friendly deal, um, including Rui again, that I don't know if I saw him fully long-term. It just made sense to retain the asset. It's tough. It's tough to see them like really not give themselves a chance at least to put it back together. So how do we mm-hmm. do that, Tim? We need to tweak this lineup because I still think there's talent on this team. I'm looking through some of this lineup data in the last 15 games, and like so much so much of it's so like the most uh used lineup in these last 16 games is the current starting lineup with Austin, Cam, Prince, LeBron, AD. And they have minus 12.6 net rating in 88 minutes. The next most frequently used lineup is D'Angelo Russell back in the starting lineup for Austin. Uh, They've run that, you know, straight one-to-one sub there a few times. That lineup has 45 minutes. And it's only negative 1.8. And I think that comes down to the team being in a better structure of offense when D'Angelo's out there. He's able to get better looks. He's hitting guys on, you know, these really like they can be dangerous, but he can create offense that no one else on this team really can outside of maybe LeBron. And it makes it much easier for Anthony Davis out there. 
And that's a simple thing that their defense is 114.1 defensive rating. Again, 45 minutes is not a lot. And this is just, I wanted to see how they're playing off during that stretch when D'Lo had been benched for a lot of it. So, there are simple things like put D'Lo back in the starting lineup. Austin was doing better when he was coming off the bench. You could still stagger LeBron and D'Lo, but D'Lo's minutes have gone down significantly. And, you know, I don't want to get into the politics. I don't know why exactly. It needs to get fixed if they're going to keep him. And they need to at least put their best foot forward in trying to see what this, this team can do because it seems like a lot of this has been self-inflicted strategic stuff. So I hear what you're saying, and I think that some of what we're seeing with the lineup success, especially because we're talking about lineups that like the the one with Reeves in it has 99 minutes on the season. The one with D'Lo in it has 151 minutes on the season. Like it's not, it's not much time. It's over the first and third most used lineups for the Lakers on the year, but it's, it's still not a whole it's not at a point where I can look at the data and say that, you know, that's what I would expect moving forward. And part of that is some of those, you know, little shot variance type things. Like the fact that the, the new starting group that has Reeves, Reddish, Prince, Brown, AD opponents are shooting 52% on threes against them. They haven't been that bad, but opponents have just hit everything. That's been a group though. That's rebounded. Well, they are forcing turnovers at, the best rate of any of the Lakers high usage lineups they're defending on from a two point standpoint, really well, they defend the rim really well. So there, there are other underlying factors defensively that I like. And when I look at the, I run these numbers through like our luck adjustments, it's actually been the Lakers, one of their best defensive lineups on the season. And I think a lot of it's just been obscured by the fact that opposing teams have shot so well from three. Now, something this won't see is, how high quality are those three pointers? This is kind of assuming that this group individually like won't be too far off from LA's norm. But if indeed that's really been a struggle for these this you know five man grouping, then this data is probably overrating their their ability on the defensive end. But there's a lot else on that side of the court that looks encouraging. And then offensively, they've got a really good you know two point percentage, and they're getting to the rim well. They are rebounding the best of any of the Lakers high usage lineups, turning it over a little bit more than you'd like to see. But there's some underlying process factors that make the luck adjusted data for this group actually pretty damn good. They're at a plus 16, which I I feel like the difference between that and the actual net rating is probably the largest of any of these top use lineups. Because what did you say their actual net rating was like minus eight or something? Or the Austin starting lineup? For the Austin one, yeah. Minus 12.6 per 100%. Okay. So this is saying something very substantially different, and I wonder how much of that is just the three-point shooting. Um, But I don't know. I I look at – and maybe this is – I need to look at the film again and and take a look at what those three-pointers look like. But if there truly is – like this team can't defend from three with this five-man grouping, then yeah, they're kind of cooked. I think they're probably not 52% from three bad, but that's a problem. If they've just been super unlucky, there there might be something here. And if so, I, you know, maybe we see them continue to get things going. I think that D'Lo has a better ability to run and, and operate a unit offensively, you know, run the show, get the team in the right sets, run ball screens. 
he's been a worse like ISO option than Reeves from my perspective. But if you're facing a drop coverage team or a hedging team or like anything but switching, I've got no problem with like D'Lo out there running a bench unit. And I, I think Reeves has better synergy with LeBron. So I don't, I don't know, at its, at a high level, I don't mind Reeves starting and D'Lo off the bench as long as they're both still like engaged and, and playing their best. D'Lo I know has rejected speaking to the media after a number of games. And I wonder if maybe there's something going on behind the scenes with him that he's, he's not happy with it. And you know, you got to, manage this and get guys to you know buy in but if he's just pouting that's not really a reason to to go back on a decision if it's the right basketball decision but i don't know man i, I think once you get really back into the mix you'll see some some growth i think christie's been certainly been used much better recently and he's up to 43 percent shooting on his spot up threes and at one point three points per possession like he has thrived in that off ball role we saw him need to do some of the on-ball stuff yesterday in the fourth quarter, but I think there we're finally seeing what we wanted to see from him to make sure he was part of that regular rotation. And I, we we saw the first quarter last game, Reddish sub out the for, after five six minutes, and Christie get in the game, and that's I believe the earliest we've seen that substitution. So it seems as though Christie's earning the staff's trust. He has my trust. I know I don't count, but I would like to see him in there a bit more. And the D'Lo, Christie Prince, Braun AD lineup has still been among their best on the season. It's now fourth most in minutes. And I would imagine, let me see here, is the same thing with Reeves. Probably also good. Uh, yeah, they're at plus 10 luck adjusted net rating. So I'm liking what I'm seeing from Christie. I think you get Rui back in there and you're going to see fewer lineups where you have like, Torian Prince as your four or Cam Reddish as your four. And that's going to help things out. I think Wood, once he's playing, because we've, we've missed him a game or two here, he was playing well and he's been used much better. So I, I think just get healthy. And over time, we're starting to see the right players emerge from a minute standpoint. And important part of that Phoenix game, despite they got blow out, blown out, we did get a look at Windler and Mays, uh, who... We both agree are much more NBA ready players right now to, you know, even give you some, oh, you know, value over the two the two way guys we had before. Basically, mm-hmm. um, ability to impact and not saying those two guys can't make the league or develop. They're both young, but these guys are a little bit more developed and able to contribute on a short term basis. Um, it's tough because they had to run. What was it? D'Lo, Austin, Max, Prince, AD at some point? Because they just didn't have Cam. He was out. Uh, I don't know why Vando hasn't snuck into that lineup, but Wood was out, you know? Yep. It's... Yeah, we saw D'Lo, Reeves, Christie, Prince, AD. We saw D'Lo, Christie, Prince, Vando, AD. D'Lo, Christie, Reddish, Vando, AD. There were some smaller groups than you'd, than you'd like to see. And you know, they're had injury issues all year at this point after a couple of weeks of having pretty good availability, went right back to a lot of things we potted about early about the schedule being difficult and being on the road a lot, a lot of these things out of their control, and then seemed like the process was getting as worse as well. So right now we're at the results are still coming, process slightly improving, um, even though it feels like 
why are they getting blown out by teams that they should be able to be competitive with every other night? I also think it's interesting what you mentioned at the start, Tim, that there's more blowouts than ever. And that makes me very interested in trying to figure out, you know, what's going on there and how much worse it is than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's league-wide, again, it, it, not just like Lakers getting blown out more than ever. So it's, okay. yeah, I, I wonder what's causing that. But we're definitely seeing a lot more games where... The variance is so goes. high with a lot of teams, right? The way they shoot the three and the bait yeah. some of these guys are playing out there with. That's a good point. Like, the volume, like the, the percentage of shots that are coming from three is so high. And variance on threes is so high that like all it takes is a game where you got two teams that shoot a lot of threes. One of them have a good game. One of them had a bad game and you're going to have a blowout. Uh, and yeah, we've, we've certainly seen that. And the Lakers aren't one of the higher teams from an attempt standpoint, but certainly giving up high quality and they have given up high quality a lot this season. And when opponents get hot, it, it can really spell trouble for this team. So looking at that, I mean, they've increased their three-point attempts, it seems like, the last few games, which is something we wanted to bring up last pod and didn't get to as much. But, you know, just them able to generate better looks, get, have better three-point shooters out there. I think Max has proven he deserves a shot, at least, and especially when they're searching for some answers here in some of the lineups. I think Wood has been great since he's came back into the lineup. Um impacted the game much more on offense and been able to make some good defensive plays as well. It's always going to be a mixed bag with him on that end, but he's actually providing positive minutes and making his threes. And that's a big element for this offense, putting these pieces together. Like I still think having max in a little bit more often than cam or when cam's back, being able to use him some as a wing stopper, as opposed to just point of attack Cam seems to have gone through a lot of wear and tear and he's, He's been banged up here too, missing every other game for a while. Yep. Yeah, I think like get Wood back, get Rui back. I know it's going to be a bit, but get Gabe back, and you're adding in, you're adding in three players that like contribute in ways defensively and then offensively. Should like all three of them be able to space the floor to a to a you know a decent extent. And so if you can just get this group healthy, keep the process high, which has been so frustrating. It, it seemed like anytime the team is healthy, they haven't been in a good process stretch. Uh, and it's not like it's like herky jerky every other game, but there was a big stretch there where LA just wasn't calling plays. Well, they weren't calling plays often. They weren't using guys. Well, defensively, they weren't in the right stuff and they just happened to be healthy during that time. And then the results weren't there. And now that we're seeing a couple key guys go down, at the same time, they've been doing a better job, so it's suppressed results a bit. And I certainly don't think like Wood and Rui is worth 30 points or whatever we lost yesterday by, but get them back. Let's see what this team can do, and then I'll be more in a trade-talking mood because I'm not seeing trades that improve us by enough that I'm like, oh, yeah, for sure we should do that. And in lieu, like if that's not the case... I kind of want to see what this team can do before we just make changes right. to make changes. I think you're saying you believe more in the internal improvement that this squad can make versus, you know, the plus minus variance of bringing in the available people around. 
the fringes of the trades right now. And that's because, uh, yes. I, and that's because like when we've seen this team healthy and doing a good stuff, good, doing good things from a scheme standpoint, they won games and they won that in season tournament. This is a roster that when together, when coached well, when guys are in good roles, like they sh- should do a good job. And some of it has been, you know, it's taken a little bit to figure out how to use everybody properly, probably longer than we would like, but I don't think they're suddenly going to forget how to use Max Christie now or forget how to use Christian Wood now or, or forget, oh crap, right. Torian Prince can run off screen stuff. Like they are improving in ways that they shouldn't get worse at. And we've seen them. We saw them last year go through stretches of the year where they weren't calling plays at a high rate. And then they really turned it into, you know, a high gear towards the end of the season. And, that really elevated the, the level of the team's performance. So we've seen the coaching staff be better this year and last year for sure. So I trust that they can solve some of these same problems that they've previously solved. It's not new stuff. We, we, we have no you know baseline for like, we've seen them do this before. We've seen these players when together, you know, play well. And we're, we're seeing the improvement right now before our very eyes games like yesterday are very, very disheartening but there's definitely more potential in this team than we've seen collectively throughout this, this season so far. All right. I think that's the pod we all needed to hear right now, Tim, your, your even keelness when, when up too high, too low. Yeah, it's good. I, I still optimistic about this team, despite them being awful in a lot of ways and the vibes being bad. I don't know. I still think the theory's there. I, mm-hmm. You could talk me in and out of whether or not that's a championship contender. I, you know, they're I have them lower projections. I still think they have some cutting of the fat to, you know, obviously even be considered for that. Yep. But I still think it's there, and with some cohesiveness, some improved play calling, as you've you've kind of talked through, I still am optimistic and hope they don't. Yeah. Make- a rash win now trade that's a little short, too short-sighted. L- let me also read off. Here's some of the lineups that we've seen used this year that have had really positive luck-adjusted net ratings, all plus 10 or better. So Reeves, Reddish, Prince, Braun, AD. D'Lo, Christie, Prince, Braun, AD. Reeves, Reddish, Rui, Braun, AD. Reeves, Christie, Prince, Braun, AD. Reeves, Prince, Rui, Braun, Wood. Reeves, Prince, Rui, Wood, AD. Reeves Christie Vando Wood AD, D'Lo Prince Rui Braun AD. Like there are a lot of groupings that have done a really good job. And and for some of them, I, I think some of those, you know, small sample results from a shooting standpoint haven't quite gone their way and make the 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 raw results not look as good. But there are so many groupings of players on this team that like, yeah, that should work. And when they have played together, for the most part, it has worked. So Get healthy, cut out some of the fat, the rotation, get this, get the process going strong. Like I, this is a better team than we've seen so far. I like, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't think I'm crazy on this. Like this is a much better team and hopefully we get a chance to see it. If they, you know, fire ham and make some trades, we're never going to know, or we're never going to be able to like show it. But during the, the glimpses of the year where they've, they've played the kind of ball that we think they can play we've started to see that potential so i don't know stick stick with the process thanks for joining if you want to get in our discord send a screenshot you're subscribed to the lakers exceptionalism youtube and we will send you the link and uh we'll talk to you all next time